We live, Chris. <laughs> we are live. Chris Lee and Blaine Gilmer of Southeastern 14. Um, yeah, sometimes sometimes plans get in the way of life. But in any case, uh, happy to be going live this afternoon to talk some SEC football. And, and Blaine, it has been, a, I guess, a pretty decent year if you're the SEC in, in bowl games, all things considered. Um, it, it maybe didn't win them all, but you got the ones maybe that you wanted the most. It might be a good way to put it. And, um, hey, you're, you're not the Big Ten, right? Yeah, the marquee games uh, seem to be going your way. And then even games that I don't know how many people honestly could have been that confident maybe in the Kentucky game just with how things were going. And Kentucky had a chance to win that one there at the end against what many people still consider as a premier ACC team, you know, with Clemson. So um, it's going to – it's we're going to dive into all of it. Uh, last show here of the – of 2023 on New Year's Eve here, so we're excited to do that. And uh, Chris, we're going to break it all down, but I know you got to get a get a word in from our from our sponsors, and then we'll get then we'll get rolling. Yes, this show is sponsored by our friends at Bet Online. All the major sports are in action this week. College football playoff is ready to go. Bet Online, your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action. See all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Blaine, let's start with biggest storylines for the SEC and maybe things of importance because, look, it is bowl season. And the thing about bowl season, I liken it anymore to NFL exhibition games. Uh, you, you got teams that are wearing the Cowboys and the Chiefs colors, but they're not always the Cowboys and the Chiefs. For for parts of games, they are. Some games, they are more than others. So with that in context, what, what are the two or three things that, that stood out to you the most? I've, I've got some in mind, but I haven't compared notes with you just to, to see what you come up with on your own. So I'll let you start. I think the thing that you have to look at the most is with the results that happened, particularly for Missouri for Ole Miss and for Georgia, and then relate that to what's going forward in 2024. Experience quarterback play for all three of those teams next year and what this can what this can lead into. Um, I thought our friend at SEC Unfiltered, uh, Chris Phillips, I saw he made a good point about um, Missouri having a Connor Shaw-type guy and Brady Cook. I think that's a great mm. kind of comparison and analogy. Not somebody who is the prettiest player in the world when you get out there that you're going to put on teach tape and say, this is how you play quarterback, but he competes his guts out. Um, and then I think you've got, you know, Jackson Dart, who's just a totally different animal. I don't know that there's a more perfect quarterback that can, you know, just – attitude wise and competitive wise and what he does uh skill set wise you know mesh with what lane kiffin likes to do and then carson beck is just phenomenal and showed how, why he's going to be phenomenal next year i think carson beck is going to set himself up to be potentially the number one overall pick in the 2025 mm -hmm. draft by coming back next year for georgia and i was just really impressed by the play of all three of those guys even though cook struggled a little bit against ohio state i don't think i think everybody would but man it was uh it was it was fun to watch some some good quarterback play there uh, for guys coming back and there's two more teams in the SEC Chris that are going to fall into that category with Alabama and Texas that we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah, I think my biggest thing was Ole Miss. And I tweeted this yesterday through our account. I don't want to make too much of the fact 
about what we saw yesterday because although Ole Miss and Penn State didn't have a ton of bowl opt-outs that I remember on either side. So I, I think that's one where maybe it was a true reflection. But Ole Miss, with what it's adding in the transfer portal, and our, our, our friend Chris Phillips pointed this out, they put up this big graphic about all the guys Ole Miss is getting. Didn't even include Juice Wells. Yeah. Um, and, and mostly because I think it was poor, sort of a graphic geared towards what Ole Miss is gaining on defense. And let's be honest, Blaine, that's been the question about Ole Miss all along. We always figure out that Lane Kiffin can coach the offensive side of the ball. Can they get good enough defensive talent? That's been the question. I mean, they've been just kind of pedestrian since he's been there. Not bad. They make havoc plays, but they're not a defense that you leave the stadium talking about. Yeah, What they are getting on the defensive side, coupled with what they did to Penn State. Penn State was giving up Blaine 3.9 yards per play. And we said going into the games, I'm interested to see if the Big Ten – what what is it? Is it were the defenses that good because the offenses were that bad, or what? I, I don't know that really know because I mean, back to, back to Missouri, Ohio State's offense was dang good, but Penn State statistically I think was a little bit better at least in terms of yards per play. Ole Miss had no issue with those guys. Ole Miss, yeah. the the speed of the game, Penn State could not handle. So I think seeing the way Ole Miss left off, Caden Prescorn had a big day. I, I think I heard right, he's coming back. Yeah, I I, plan. my reaction to that was I was like, I was like, Caden Prescorn is going to win the Mackey Award next year. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we, we say that now. Scouts are going to watch that tape and digest it. And who knows, maybe, maybe he changes his mind between now and then. But Jackson Dart coming back, Quinshawn yeah. Judkins coming back. Um, I guess Trey Harris is gone. Uh, but I mean, they'll, Trey, they'll Trey find Harris receivers. is coming back too. Oh, he's back. Okay. Well, they're, uh, the, the, that, that to me, Look, a you're gonna have Trey Harris player. on one side, Juice Wells on the other side, Caden yeah. Prescorn in the middle, Quinshot Judkins. I mean, I know that the the bar for college football playoff is is different now because it's twelve teams next year, but but that felt like a team in watching it, Blaine, that that could clear the four team hurdle for next year based on the way it looked and what we know is coming in. Yeah, I mean, Walter Nolan alone, he's a he's a. Yeah. game-changing type defensive tackle. He's going to be he's going to be something that Ole Miss has not had the entirety of Lane Kiffin's tenure there. Uh, not many people do outside of Georgia and Alabama have had defensive tackles of that kind of caliber. And then you had Chris Paul, who's going to be there, the the safety that they're bringing in, uh, Lewis from, from Indiana. I mean, so many players at all the different levels of defense. And then Pete Golden gets to be there and, and kind of be free. You know, part of Pete Golden's thing was at Alabama, yes, he had his own struggles and things off the field, that kind of stuff. But Pete Golden had to kind of operate within the structure of what Nick Saban wanted to do. And sometimes that doesn't mesh as well and things like that. Well, now – Pete Golden is going to kind of be freed up to to do his own deal, and I think you saw growth this year out of that Ole Miss mm-hmm. defense, but now you insert all that talent in there. It is certainly going to be an interesting deal, but I think the the two, obviously Georgia, and we'll get to that in a little bit here, Chris, uh, the dismantling of Florida State, but I think the two teams that probably have to be the most energetic coming out of that those performances – Ole Miss and Missouri, and I know that uh, mm-hmm. you you much like I loved Missouri all year long. But I think uh, I think you know two programs that are kind of on what used to be the West and what used to be the East, kind of paralleling each other with really really big seasons, 
really, really big uh, acquisitions coming in this offseason and a lot of talent and a lot of momentum going into 2024. And, Blaine, we left out a guy from Florida, too. Uh, our man Prince Lee at, at Florida. Oh, I'm yeah. not even going to try to pronounce the last name, but you know. The Manimalian. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why you're here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that and, and Missouri. Hey, and you can check receipts. I did, and I think you may have, too. I called Missouri. I, I thought that was a surprise team in the SEC. No, look, I, I thought surprise might be winning nine games. I didn't know it was going to be winning uh, 10 in the regular season and, and taking the Cotton Bowl with it against Ohio State. So I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I, I nailed that. But here's the thing. If I told you before the season that, that Brady Cook and Cody Schrader are carrying Ole Miss to 11 wins – and Missouri. a double-digit victory over Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. What would you have said? I mean, that that Eli Drinkwitz deserves to be the yeah. college football coach of the year. I mean, because, uh, you know, it, I, I I had him pegged as, at nine wins. I thought they would go nine and three. I, I was higher on them, I think, than most. But a lot of people called me crazy thinking they would go nine and three. But um, I, the reasons – what I wouldn't have been as shocked, but I would have been more saying, okay, well, what did the defense do? Okay, Mm -hmm. because that was what we thought was going to lead them the whole year coming into this was defense, uh, Tyron Hopper, uh, Rake Straw, Abrams Drain, Robinson, all those guys, those names that they had, I think, 10 starters returning, Chris. So much, so much experience. Yeah, so much, so much talent, just just ridiculous across the SEC. And it ended up being at times the offense – you know, led the led the way, Cody Schrader, um, Theo Weiss at times. Because one thing I do think I would have to ask a question if I'm a Missouri fan is, you know, okay, so I'm a I'm a Missouri fan, say, and we we beat Ohio State. We don't play very well offensively. We do shut them down uh, defensively, but Luther Burden hardly didn't get the ball the entire game, and yes. he's out there running around and playing like. Get that man the football, and and that's not something that typically you would think would be an issue with Eli Drinkwitz and company. So uh, I think that's something that Drinkwitz and Kirby Moore will probably have some conversations about going into next year with their last run with Luther Burden there coming back. So Yeah, now let's give Ohio State credit. I mean, you know he had to be in the game plan. They just locked it down with him. And I think oh, yeah. let 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 Cook and Schrader beat us, and, and they were they were good enough. But, hey, the, the defense, let's circle back to that for a minute. Um, it what it, it was like Johnny Walker, who was player of the game, did get a huge penalty that that really hurt them. I, I thought that I think they had Ohio State backed up, and it was a it was an after the after the play personal foul that that really I thought that might be the the thing that you look back at the end of the game, and it's why Missouri didn't win. Fortunately, it didn't happen. But it was it was guys. I think the interesting thing with Missouri is the script looks so different, as you just pointed out with the defense. Now, the defense was good, but if, I, if I'd said, hey, this is going to be an 11-win team, I would have said it's a defense that gives up, I don't know, 15 points a game instead of 22, 23, whatever it wound up being. Yeah. The defense was if, – if there's one disappointment with that team, it was maybe that it wasn't quite what I hoped it would be. And I said before, the year, I thought Schrader – not Schrader. I thought that Brady Cook was a little better than people had given him credit for being, but I didn't have that in mind when I looked at this season and said, this is what they can be. No, they were, I think they were much better offensively than people uh, expected them to be. They got that outside zone scheme working tremendously. So um, kudos to them. 
kudos to, to Ole Miss. Uh, like I said, both of those teams have a lot going into – a lot to – play for you know in 2024 in terms of expectations 12 team playoff schedules kind of aligning big time offseason acquisitions but chris it's kind of uh same song different verse uh for the georgia bulldogs as now they have defeated their last two bowl games that they played being the national championship and this game they have won by a combined score of 128 to 10 over TCU and Florida State in those games. And yesterday was just a dismantling of the Seminoles. And listen, I know it's not the Seminole team that that was there in the ACC championship and even before that for Florida State. But Georgia also was without six starters mm-hmm. and without 20 guys that it, it either that had entered the portal as well in that game. So 26 players absent for Georgia, and they still win a point a game by 60 points. It was an impressive output by the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, that that was one of those make God have mercy on your soul games that Georgia pulls out two or three times a year. Uh, I, I don't know if this is a fair criticism of Kirby Smart, but th- there are games that you watch them play, and you're like, my goodness, if they if they did this every week, nobody would ever have a chance anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Um, it, hard, again, it's hard to be critical of Kirby Smart, but my, my goodness. Um, looking back on that, what, what was the line at kickoff? 14 and a half? No, it got all the way up to 20. Okay, with, uh, okay. With, it, with the- so it, it, it shot I, 14 and a half, I think, was the last one I'd seen. Uh, I didn't look yeah. a couple of days before the game. But, I mean, that's that, that still was – free money but yeah, yeah i mean i, brian, I don't know what you say brian mcfail here says georgia has four and five stars playing third string that and that's well, he's, true he's right um yeah. i looked this up before the season georgia had i believe blaine i think the number was over 64 and five stars on that team yeah it's uh the the recruiting might have been 70 yeah it's a lot and uh and here's the thing there's people that are going to go about it the way that Ole Miss is going to go about it, and I think Lane Kiffin is doing what he needs to do at Ole Miss to put a competitor out there to go after the transfer portal. And I don't think Lane Kiffin will do that year in and year out, Chris, because I think, one, you have to manage your money, and nobody's been more transparent than Lane Kiffin has been about, hey, this is free agency. This is, yeah. you know, you have to go out and spend money. we got to have money in the collective, got to do this and that. But I think they see this year, okay, it's expanding to 12. The schedule is about as favorable as it's going to be. This is the year to go all in and go go get it, especially with Dart coming back and some of these other guys coming back. But Georgia, just year in and year out, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, maybe Ohio State, uh, you know, there, there's five or six programs in the country that have separated themselves in terms of the upper echelon of the high school recruiting that they've done it to such an extent over the last five, six years that they literally, that's where they believe in building the nucleus of their roster and going forward, um, particularly along the lines of scrimmage. Kirby Smart says, hey, you cannot fix your ills in the transfer portal along the lines of scrimmage. He said, big bodies that can move, you have to find them out of high school, you have to retain them, and you have to develop them. And that's what Georgia and Alabama and some of these perennial playoff teams, even a Michigan uh, to a certain extent, have been able to do is to develop, especially along the trenches from the high school ranks. And that's what you're talking about, Chris, with that depth. But Georgia also does it at the uh, at the skill positions as well. 
Uh, thank you to Eric Wilper for the super chat. Uh, those those help us a lot. <laughs> Boy, Missouri's got some gloating to do today, and and I, you can't blame them. Yeah. This um this segues into something I wanted to ask you about, and this is I'm interested to get your reaction because I haven't thought about it either. The question just kind of popped into my head. If you said the next five years, name the ten teams that are poised to have the most success in college football. Where do you go? I, I, let's let's get some of the easy ones out of the way, right? I think my, my mind immediately goes to Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. Probably is my top three. Yeah, I mean, I think Ohio State kind of by default. I, I don't know. I'm not yeah. 100% sold on Ryan day and what he's, what he's doing up there. I think he, as Jim, Jim Harbaugh famously said, uh, sometimes you're born on third base and think you hit a triple, you know? So, so, you yeah, know, but we'll see. Look, we'll see. I, I get that they're not winning the big games. They're still winning double digit games. There's still a fertile recruiting base. I mean, when's the last time Ohio state's been down for, for two years in a row? I mean, before either of us were yeah. born. So, no, I mean, I just, agree. then, Maybe you could argue Ohio State's not top five, but it's got to be in the top ten. And I think Oregon. After that, I think Oregon. It gets or Oregon was on my short list because I think after that it gets interesting. I mean, typically you would say Florida, but I I don't know now. Um, yeah, Tennessee I mean, a year it, ago it looked like it way. was Tennessee a year ago looked like it was edging its way in that discussion with the NIL, and it might still be. But I mean, you, you've got um, you, you got Ole Miss. I think is definitely got to be on the. I, I don't know if Ole Miss makes the ten, but it's got to be on the list uh, with what Lane Kiffin's done. I, I, I never would have said this a year ago, but you look at what Missouri did this year. You look at what Missouri's doing in the NIL space. I think Missouri's in the discussion. Okay, Texas is on there. Texas yeah. is, is is in your ten somewhere. So that's five of them. We've got Here's Texas. Oregon. Here's the easy. Here's the easy answer. You take okay. the top eight. You take the top eight teams from the SEC, and that's your future right there. I'm telling you because there may be one team every year in the Big Ten that is capable of of breaking through and competing, maybe winning a playoff game. But I would venture to say, in a 12 team format where you have to earn it on the field and you have to win multiple games to win a national championship, I think the SEC wins the national championship, not only this year, because I think Alabama wins it this year. I think they win it this year and every year going forward for the foreseeable future. I just don't I just don't see and I don't see a Big Ten team out there, and I definitely don't see a Big 12 team capable of just toe-to-toe with the lines of scrimmage and with the amount of talent. And then with what – People, SEC teams, Chris, look what Ole Miss is doing to people. Look what, look what LSU and Alabama, Alabama just taking people from USC, saying, "Oh, give us your best defensive backs, give us your best, you know, this and that." Yeah. They're able to cherry pick and take it away, and I just think it's going to be the rich keep getting richer, and and that talent base in the Southeast that fortifies the high school ranks is going to be, you know, over just hard to overcome. Okay, I think Andy Stowe's got a good start here. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, Texas were five we had. LSU, we just had a brain fart on that. LSU's got to be in there. I think Michigan has to be in there. Just again, based on history and tradition, the last time Michigan was bad for any stretch of, of time, 
I don't even know if that's ever happened. So I think even by, if Harbaugh by default, leaves, even if Harbaugh leaves, okay. I mean, the, the chances Michigan can't attract an elite coach are almost nil or a really good one. So that's that's right there. That's seven. I mean, all you could make a case that that Ole Miss is in there. Um, based on nil momentum, I think you could make a case for Missouri. I don't know that I'd put them in there. I, I don't know what to do with Florida. I don't yeah. know what to do with Oklahoma. I don't know what to do with Clemson. Clemson would have been an easy one three years ago, but it's just not been the same in the NIL era. So that last three, I think I think we've got seven. And I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. Washington could easily be in that discussion. Southern Cal could be in that discussion. And then there's also going to be some names with the NIL space and how things work, Chris, that are going to come out of nowhere. And I'm and yeah. and don't don't laugh when I say this, but somebody like a that somebody like a like a SMU who's moving to yes. the to the ACC that has more money than they know what to do with. Yeah. I'm just telling you, there's going to be some players that find their way there, and there's going to be by virtue of being in the ACC a quote power for whatever we're calling it now, where it may be an easier way to get to the playoff, um, you know, because they are still going to have automatic bids and stuff like that. There's going to be some of that that pops up every once in a while. But I think year in, year out, it's going to be tough until until Nick Saban and Kirby Smart decide to, you know, hang it up and they're done with they're done with uh, doing all this kind of stuff year round and, and around the clock. And then uh, I think it's going to be tough to get – Alabama and Georgia out of there but I think the way that Lane Kiffin is going about doing things as you mentioned it's different but it's also he's going to take advantage of everything that is out in front of him with NIL and transfer portal and stuff like that and listen there's only been a handful of teams that have been ranked in the top 10 the last three the AP top 10 the last three years and Ole Miss is one of them okay yeah so wow and Eric brings up a point. I, I put this on the screen because you mentioned somebody coming out of the blue within. I look at Syracuse. Syracuse just snapped Kyle McCord. So Syracuse is so going to be a good that. football team with Fran Brown too. I'm telling you. Yeah, they, I, I know. People. I know it, it could be somebody like that. Um, here, here's another one because this is a program that's figured out a way to survive in, in a lot of climates, and and because it's not going to be playing an SEC Kansas State. Kansas State has always recruited the JUCOs yeah. really well. Um, yeah, I mean, how many how many games a year is Kansas State going to go into is more than a touchdown underdog? If the program stays near the same level it is, not a lot. It's going to be interesting. And I wonder if what Chip Kelly was talking about with the whole, you know, 64 teams kind of break off and do their own thing and have a commissioner and all this kind of stuff. I think there's going to be big changes happening. And I think part of what we saw in the orange bowl, the, the just absolute drubbing of a team that one was motivated. One was not, one was there. One was not, I think college football is not going to want any more of that, Chris. I think it's bad for the game. And I think yes. there's going to be as many drastic changes that whether it's, you know, financially incentivizing guys to play in bowl games, whether it is, um, you know, creating some kind of in incentive-based stuff to 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 go on with, I don't know, in terms of uh, being able to expand the playoff even further. It may go from twelve to sixteen one day. You you never know. So I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what happens there. But I think what we learned 
from those three games is one, I think the SEC still has a, a, a dominance in terms of talent and speed and things like that, that we learned in those games that, that can take over. And, and, and the, I think the culture of the SEC, it means a little bit more uh, than it does in some places. And then two, I think we just learned that, Hey, college football has got a lot of issues and a lot of ills that have to be fixed. And, and we've, uh, we've, we've talked about those exclusively. Do you want to talk about some of the ills, uh, with teams like Auburn and Kentucky that didn't get it, didn't get the job done. Yeah, b- bigger picture, college football needs a commissioner in the worst way, and it needs to be somebody that's coached. And not too long ago, I, I've said before, Nick Saban would be the perfect guy. Oh yeah, the, the NCA. I mean, I, I don't know. Charlie Baker may be great, but the, the two most incompetent organizations on earth are the NCA and Congress. And yeah. so the NCA goes and takes a politician to make it his commissioner. I don't, maybe it's going to work. I don't know. You can't typecast everybody based on their past roles, but this should have been figured out by now. I do think NIL is going to be a solution eventually. There should be in terms of solving some of these bowl game eligibility things because you don't play, you don't don't get a check. I, I think it's that simple. But um, we haven't hit on Kentucky and Auburn. I know you just brought those up. Those are two other programs that I just don't know what to make of. Going forward, I know with Hugh Freeze that he's recruited well. He did inherit a great situation. There were just a lot of doubts about him when he left Ole Miss. And, again, you're going to be in Nick Saban's shadow for as long as he's coaching college football, which I still think is going to be a few more years in Kentucky. What what a weird situation. Um, Man. You know, no, no, look, what they've done in the transfer market – just with the two kids from Georgia alone is impressive, but um, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Blaine. Devin Leary, and, and I hate to just single a kid out. I, I don't know that there was a kid in the league that I was more disappointed in this year than Devin Leary, and I know the passing line was good, but my goodness, I watched that game. That was all on his guys' run after catch. Jordan Dingle had yeah. that 72-yarder. Uh, Barry and Brown still running through defenses between kickoffs and catches. Dane Key had a long one. So much of his passing line was on his guys. He made what at least two, I guess it was three huge turnovers. And and maybe some of that was on his offensive line to fumble, uh, the, the pass that got batted down and picked. But you got to make better decisions. And just, I think I'd be more willing to give him the benefit of the doubt if he had a better year start to finish. But n- name one game that you just came away with with Kentucky this year and say, hey, Devin Leary is the, the guy that I thought he was be. I just – he'd be I, – I don't recall – and I, I was on a plane where they were playing Louisville. Maybe that was it. But I just don't think he ever showed up and became that guy that we thought he'd be. I'm uh, – listen, I, nobody was a bigger proponent before the year of saying, hey, Devin Leary is going to be special at Kentucky because I thought he was based on what he had done at NC State. I mean, when you're breaking Phillip Rivers' records and things of that nature, but with that injury, that – he does not look the same in terms of delivering the football. You can see the arm strength at times, but the accuracy is totally off. Um, it, he just didn't didn't end up being a the complete quarterback that Kentucky thought that he would be. And listen, at the end of the day, you do got to give him enough credit. He put that team in position to win that ball game in the offense. That or excuse me, the defense couldn't get a stop at the end and, and get it done. So, uh, you know, with even with all the ills and all the accuracy stuff and things like that, Kentucky had a shot to win that ball game. Uh, the defense couldn't get it done, and 
you know, I do think it's interesting with Mark Stoops and, and it, I think there's going to be a, a little bit of a, you know, galvanizing of that program because they, I think they realized, Oh crap, we almost lost our head coach. Uh, Cause he, mm-hmm. he almost went to Texas A&M. And I think that, that, that there's going to be a little influx. They, they got money up in Kentucky. Okay. Listen, there's, there's people buying horses that cost more than our houses. Okay. So uh, we're, we're, <laughs> they got money up there and I think there'll be an influx into the NIL and they're already getting some players in there. A couple from Georgia. In fact, Jamon Dumas Johnson and, um, brought Vandegrift uh, at the quarterback position. So that's the biggest thing for Kentucky. Can they hit at the quarterback position? Because even with Will Levis, Will Levis at times didn't play up to the level that maybe his his talent level uh, could have allowed him to. He didn't hit his full potential. So can they get consistent play out of Brock Vandergriff? Uh, and, you know, can they can that defense continue to play a Mark Stoops style of defense going forward? I think they had lapses at times this year. But they're very similar, I think, too, in Auburn. And, and hey, there's ability there. There's, there's players there. There's money there. But can they put it all together and get some vertical alignment and get going? Auburn, we're starting to see that. And I think, you know, it was ugly. Chris against Maryland. Oh goodness, it was ugly. Uh, the, the the quarterback play was atrocious with Peyton Thorne, but I think part of that is because you don't have a whole lot of weapons on the outside. They're not good on third down this year, all that kind of stuff. But Auburn is bringing in a lot of weapons, including two five star receivers out of high school that are going to have to play immediately and come in. and And Rivaldo Fairweather comes back at tight end. He was a bright spot for Auburn yesterday. I think they'll be able to run the football well as long as Hugh Freeze is there. So. I'm not as concerned about Auburn in terms of what's going on on the field, and I think they'll continue to recruit heavily. But my question is, is there? do you feel like there's just a glass ceiling for both Kentucky and Auburn, given what the elite of the SEC is out in front of them? Man, we were on the same page about stuff today. Uh, I, I think Auburn – Part of me goes throw yesterday out because it's going to be a completely different situation. They weren't good at receiver anyway, and what they had hit the portal. So, you know, I looked there and they're playing Hank Brown, who was playing high school ball in, in my neck of the woods this time last year. So I, I don't know. I, I I just I do wonder if Hugh Freeze can replicate what he did when they really had it rolling at Ole Miss at Auburn, and, and and that's not saying he can't. It's just more of an I don't know. Kentucky's where I, I think the two programs that I'm just really on the fence about going into the future are them in Florida. And because, like, on one hand, you said glass ceiling. That is exactly where I was going to go. It kind of feels like Mark Stoops has hit a ceiling there. And, and, look, there's nothing wrong with what he's hit, but he was, you know, looked like he was looking to get out to A&M. And, look, I don't blame him. You know, there's probably, I don't know if you can count on both hands, coaches that wouldn't think about taking that job anywhere in the country, given the resources and the opportunity. So that's not a knock on Kentucky, but Kentucky traditionally has not put it together for a long period of time. On the other hand, you look at what they just did in the portal with the two Georgia kids, you watch them play, and you got Brock Vandegriff throwing presumably to, to Dane Key and Barry and Brown next year. And I, yeah. I don't know if Jordan Dingle's back or not, but yeah, he I mean, is. He's they, he okay. entered the portal. He entered the portal and they are actually able to lure him out of the portal with some NIL money. Yeah. So that's a big deal. Well, there, there you go. I mean, look, if, if devil's advocate here, 
if Devin Leary had just been anywhere, I don't know, 85% of what we thought he'd be this year, we're probably having a different conversation. And, and maybe Brock Vanderriff comes in next year and, and does what we thought Leary would have done this year. Key and Brown get better. Maybe you got 2,000-yard receivers, and you're looking up next year, and Kentucky was – was this year's Missouri. Um, and I don't know, by the way, J.J. Weaver's coming back for a sixth year on that side of the ball. I don't know that they are. I don't know that it's vintage Mark Stoops' Kentucky defense with their personnel last year, but his bread's buttered on that side. He's always figured it out. So that, that's one where I can argue either way with Kentucky. I mean, it, it's kind of dumb to make predictions uh, December 31st for next year with all the variables, but I can give you reasons why and reasons why not with them. Yeah, and and the same thing, the same thing with Auburn. You know, the, the just so many games are going to be hinge games. You know, like just just it's going to be field goal games here here and there with Auburn. And how much differently are we talking about their season if they pull off even one of those two games against Alabama or Georgia? You know, who cares what happened against Maryland if 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 they beat. They beat if they beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl and don't allow fourth and thirty-one, and or if they prevent Brock Bowers from just going crazy on them, then Auburn's look totally differently this year, especially with Hugh Freeze's bunch bunch. Uh, you know, first year it being his first year there at Auburn. But back to your point with Kentucky, I did want to say I think one thing that Kentucky has to look forward to is Vandergriff's legs uh, because Devin Leary wasn't a, a real runner. He wasn't as mobile. And I think the the style of player that Vandergriff is going to be is going to fit much better into Liam, what Liam Cohen likes to do. He's a he, he's a guy who can make plays, uh, can escape the pocket. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. So uh, a lot of a lot of teams that we've kind of talked about uh, here already in the bowl season, but two teams one current sec team and one future one chris in texas alabama and texas that are going to be playing for a national championship and it kicks off uh just a little over 24 hours from now the rose bowl does so uh what are you as we approach that what are your have your thoughts changed any any going into uh seeing some of these bowl games between sec teams big 10 teams have you been swayed any by by some of the bowl season heading into the cfp game alabama and michigan i told somebody this yesterday i picked michigan to beat alabama just based on the stats um i i got regrets about that one already i'll be honest um some of it was a question of is is the big 10 all that defensively uh, just didn't didn't know. And look, the, the computers had the Big Ten. The top of the Big Ten is the best in the country. I mean, I think what Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan were three of the top five teams in most of the computers. Now, I don't buy it. I mean, look, and we don't have a lot of interconnectivity between those two leagues. It keeps saying that. That's one reason I'm excited about the playoffs, Blaine. I, I don't know how you tell which league is best because what what's the number of meaningful games that we have between – the Big Ten and the SEC every year. I mean, like in, in a good year, you know, maybe maybe you get, um, you know, since they're now Big Ten, you get Oregon and Georgia playing a game like they did a year ago, or you know, maybe Alabama takes on somebody. But you don't get, you, you don't ever see a regular. You see Alabama, Penn State play every year. You don't see that. You don't ever see the big boys take on each other year to year. So we get to this point in the season, where we're just like, okay, that's what the computers say. Let's see if they're right. 
Watching the Big Ten, I don't think they're right. I, I don't think their offenses were that impressive. Penn State's got obliterated. Its defense did by Ole Miss. Um, the, the stats on J.J. McCarthy, I'm sure you've seen that graphic about touchdown passes pre and post Connor Stallions scandal yeah. exposure. I mean, it, it's crazy. They're not yeah. even the same guy. Now, some of that schedule, Michigan's was backloaded with tougher teams. I don't want to put it all on that. But just between the, the, the catapult thing now that, that came out, it, it just feels to me like but, but between Michigan not that able to dominate the better teams and all this <laughs> stuff, it 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 makes me wonder it and I would like to I would like to retract my pick of Michigan against Alabama because I just don't have a good feeling on that now in terms of Michigan winning that game. I picked Alabama to win by double digits, and the reason I did is because I knew on – well, I knew when I I was watching Alabama do what they did to Georgia that they were the best team in the country. Then once once I saw the selection show come up and Michigan sitting there watching ESPN and they see – Alabama pop up at four and you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Like they were not excited about playing the Alabama Crimson Tide. And here's the thing when it comes to playoff football, the team that typically when, when all else is kind of, you know, I would say that the, the trenches, you know, you may could say, or, uh, you know, nip and tuck here and there. I think Alabama overall will be more physical, but when then there's some, any question about which team, uh, you know, is better. You go with the best player on the field, and that is Jalen Milrow. And Jalen Milrow, I think when his number is called, I don't, I do not believe that Michigan will have an answer for it. And that's ultimately why I think Alabama will win that game convincingly. And you give out, you give Nick Saban, you give Nick Saban a month to prepare for anybody. Uh, and it's just, I think it's going to be really, really tough for Michigan. And we've seen this same song and dance uh you know when when Michigan 2 years ago came in with a highly you know just just highly respected thought to be really physical team uh and got their doors blown off by Georgia in the Orange Bowl so i think you'll see a similar similar um similar result in the Rose Bowl and then you know moving on to to the the Sugar Bowl Texas, like I said, they're they're coming into our family here, our SEC family, Chris. And uh, I've already, I have already spurned them a little bit and made them a little bit mad because I am picking the the purple rain. I'm going with uh, just the feel good story of Michael Penix. But you like Texas? You think Texas is going to take take that game in New Orleans? I, I do. Before I go there, I want to backtrack to Alabama for just a minute because I'm pretty sure you and I talked about this in the preview. I would have to look it up, but. I feel like the bulk of sacks that Alabama gave up, and, and my goodness, they were a lot, were in the first two-thirds of that season. Um, now, now look, Alabama's schedule got easier, um, but but Auburn can get after the passer. Um, yeah. Kentucky's capable of it. I, I mean, LSU, I don't know what to say about the defense, but look, it, it was an offensive line that got better as the season went on, and with that group, presumably gelling and Milrow getting better. I feel like that could be the storyline that we're either talking about. That's why Alabama won it was that offensive line got better and was able to make things possible for Jalen Milrow or, Hey, we jumped the gun on that and and Michigan wrecked them. And that's why Alabama lost the game. So where where do you stand on that? 
I think that the, I think that you were starting a true freshman at left tackle, and you just got to get better and better and better. And he continued to get better. And I think that Tommy Reese uh, put put Jalen Milrow and company in better positions. They started calling the game more to his to his skill set and, and stop asking him to do some things that maybe they were asking him to do at the beginning of the season. And he didn't hold the ball as much and he was more decisive. And, and I think that's, that's why they got, they got better uh, along the offensive line. And, and, you know, they said, Hey, if we do struggle being able to protect, let's do some things. Let's move the pocket a little bit. Let's do some things that, that fit us a little bit better. So I think that that's why you saw the, improvement and that's why i think you'll see alabama have a lot of different answers for what michigan's going to try to do to them on on to texas texas was the team i picked to win the playoff when we made our picks a couple of weeks ago uh right, rightly or wrongly i've still got that game against alabama in my head the other thing i've got and i get texas tech and oklahoma state work the cream of the crop but they're they're quality football teams texas just went into Georgia like crush your soul mode on yep. those last couple of games. We know that team's got the talent. It's got depth. I I still feel pretty good about that. Um, we, we've talked about the computers. The computers can't tell you everything. I think the computers got the Big Ten wrong. I think the computers got um a couple other things wrong. And and the computers didn't like Washington all year. Uh, considered Oregon to be about a touchdown better. We saw all that panned out, but that's kind of your one warning thing that the computers have consistently had Texas on a neutral field, probably seven or eight points better than Washington. Um, again, I don't know if that's a legitimate yellow flag or if that's just something we'll, we'll circle as not. Cause when I watch Washington, especially with Penix and those receivers, they're tough, but I just think Texas is better across the board. And, and buddy, if you, you go to Tuscaloosa, you beat, beat Nick Saban at night in a game everybody's circled. Um, I, I like your chances. My only issue and my only problem with Texas is the secondary is a major weakness. Uh, they're they're 99th in the country in terms of in terms of passing defense, and then when they're in one possession games, that drops to like 116th in the country. So they're not very good in the secondary, and I think with Adunze and McMillan. That's the issue. I think Texas is better up front. So if they can, if they can force Penix to hold the ball, if they can cover long enough, I think that they can they can get to Penix and they can hurt things. And then Texas could could end up running the football well on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the ball, and they could they could end up blowing Washington out. But the only reason that I ended up going with Washington is because I the more tape I watched on Texas, the more I saw receivers running wide open down the field on them and you cannot do that against Michael Penix and every time somebody's somebody has counted Michael Penix Jr. out he's end up he's ended up making them wrong and I just feel like uh you know listen the offensive line I don't think they should have won the Joe Moore award at Washington but they're good enough to to hold up um and those three receivers over there are they're all going to be pros so I think that you know and then Dylan Johnson, keeping this SEC, you know, centered, came from Mississippi State, and my goodness, uh, he he did a great job and gives Washington balance over there. So that's why that's the only reason I'm going with Washington in the Sugar Bowl is because of I just think ultimately Texas is not good enough in their past defense, and I think uh, that that uh, Adunze 
um, McMillan, those guys with Penix slinging the ball around the yard, and then Dylan Johnson being able to provide some balance. I think they'll end up winning a uh, a very high-scoring game. I think it's going to be like 37-35. It's going to be a barn burner. And, hey, that we all win if it's that kind of a, that kind of a matchup, Chris. That'll be fun to watch. You're muted, Chris. Chris, you're muted. You there? Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Texas is going to go in and just wipe the field with Washington. I, I do think it'll be fun. Penix has had a habit of of making huge plays all year. Uh, mobility concerns me a little bit there. He wasn't the most mobile guy in the world. Feels like you need that type of guy in this day and age of college football, but we'll see. Yeah. For sure. Anything else? Uh, we've been going about 45 minutes strong here. Everybody, we got hundreds of people in here. Please do us a favor. Just hit that like button right now. That's all you have to do. Hit that like button. That helps us out tremendously. Uh, subscribe. If you don't subscribe, you got to understand this is probably our last day here at Southeastern 14. We're going to go through a little bit of a rebrand, uh, and we would love for you to be a part of the journey with us as we're going to cover all things uh, SEC going forward, of course, continue our football coverage. Blake and Chris do a great job with basketball. Max Barr has come on his help out with basketball. Um, Chris does a great job with baseball. And Chris, don't let me forget, it's off air, I got a, a fan on here, uh, somebody that, that wants to help you out with baseball this year. He would oh, love okay. to provide some assistance with baseball. So we got people wanting to be a part of this thing. And uh, so so excited uh, that, that people are wanting to be a part of it. So like, subscribe, turn on notifications. That greatly, greatly helps us out and, uh, you know, continues to drive our engagement here. Yeah, if you're new to the channel, we, we cover baseball, football, and basketball with equal passion. Uh, we spend a lot of time on it. Um, a lot of seven-day work weeks around here. And what I always tell people is if you want to follow your team, you're going to find people in your market that cover your team better than than we do. But if you want to look at all the teams in the league at, at a glance, I think we do a, as good a job of that as anybody. Um, I, I'm going to call an audible here. Let's look forward a little bit. Yeah, We've talked about how opt-outs have ruined bowl games. There's one bowl game that I think got more interesting because of people that aren't there. And I think that's Iowa, Tennessee. Yeah. Because now uh, Josh Heupel gets to roll his new toy out uh, with no excuses or reservations. Joe Milton's opted out of the bowl game against Iowa. I learned how to pronounce his name. Let's hear it. I, I, I learned how to you can do it. I think I can Nico, do it, but I don't think you can do it. Nico Iamalavia. Okay. Oh, Nico Iamalava. Okay. Iamalava. That's how it is. I had it's it wrong. Like e, uh, ma, leva. Uh, and I, I thought it was I am a leva for a long time. That's too. what it looked like. To me. But it's Nico, e, am a leva. So, uh, Nico, the Nico era is starting and it's going to be interesting to see. But you talk about one defense that I think is legit <laughs> is that Iowa defense because that's what yeah. they, they literally live on their defense. Okay. That they, they survive on defense and punting. So uh, it's going to be <laughs> like punting is a weapon for Iowa. Like, yes. you know, so it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see. That's a tough, tough first start for Nico, but I'm excited to uh, to see. Well, here's the other side, right? There was nothing interesting about Iowa's offense this year other than just like how how wretched can it get? How many punts yeah. can we see? Well, ten does Tennessee have anybody in its secondary for this game that started? 
for them on a regular basis. They had six guys hit the portal, so I yeah. don't think that's possible. So yeah, so uh, so it's it's this okay. We we know Iowa can't pass against just about anybody. Tennessee secondary wasn't fantastic this year with its guys. D- does this level the playing field where Iowa can make it semi interesting throwing the ball? I tend to think not. But that that's why I think this game this is the one game that got more interesting with the portal. I, I'm it, more interested in this game now, given who's not there and the dynamics can play than I was before if everybody had been full strength. Uh, let's call it what it is. Josh Heupel did a great job of forcing Joe Milton not to play in this game. Joe Milton wanted to play in this game. I'm telling you, I promise that's what happened. He wanted to play in this game, and they basically told him, hey, buddy, we got to see what we got here in, in yeah. Nico. And and uh, and that comes from reports inside of of the Tennessee program. I mean, it was a deal where Joe wanted to stick around and play and maybe split time with Nico. And they're like, no, we need to, we need to move on. We need to turn the page. They were as loyal to that man as they could, could be uh, way more loyal than they should have been. And now we're going to get to see uh, Nico Iamaleva uh, go out there and do, do his part. Um, so we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think that you're going to see a, a guy that is dynamic, but at the same time, it's hard to go out there and just perform, you know, crisply against a Iowa team that is going to be as fundamentally coached and, 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 and as hard hitting and all that kind of stuff as any defense you're going to see out there. I think the things that you got to look for, and I put a video out on this, just watch his feet. Does he have calm feet in the pocket? Does he does he take you know what's available to him check downs and and backs out of the backfield that kind of stuff and then can he layer some of the throws can he throw put one in front of a safety behind a linebacker throw the change up if you will that's what our friend Jake Crane said that Joe Milton couldn't throw the change up all he had was the four seam you know what I'm saying he was ripping mm-hmm. it in there he couldn't he couldn't t- uh, pull the string any at all and and if Nico can show the ability to do that regardless of the result regardless of the the if it's a win or a loss or if he throws three picks or three touchdowns if he shows those things then I think you have to have excitement for 2024 in Tennessee's offense Chris I got one reservation for you Blaine and that's this what was the reason that Josh Heupel said he was not throwing Nico in there all season you remember that because he told us he wasn't I think he wasn't ready to to handle the 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 offense yet. Like he didn't didn't have all of it, and it and it was the fundamentals that he got. He said he, he kept saying he get better, got better fundamentally as the year went on. Well, may, maybe you and I heard him different times. What I heard late in the season was, I'm not sure I trust our offensive line to keep him healthy. Now, look, yeah, you you got to take the bubble wrap off guys at some point, and, and maybe this is the the time to do it because you get an idea of what this looks like in a game and you got a, a season to process it. Plus if he gets hurt, you got a long time to recover, you know, unless yeah. it's really bad, you know, he's, he's ready for the opener next year, but look, I was defense as salty as we know. Um, yeah. And, and if keeping him upright and healthy is an issue and you're worried about keeping him healthy, I don't think it's a thing where it's cut and dried. Now, look, again, you've got to take the bubble wrap off these guys at some point. Um, and maybe it helps to where, look, you score 14 points in this game. 
you got a decent shot to win. You're not putting all the pressure on your guy right away to win a shootout with Oregon or Washington or whoever it might be. Maybe that's why this is the right spot, but I do have some questions based on Josh Heupel's concern with his protection that was mentioned late in the season. This thing is the is the great great call because you look at Tennessee schedule and and you don't second game that that Nico Iamaleva ever plays in to be NC State on a neutral uh, on a neutral side. I mean, I think you want him to get reps against a quality defense where he can have this in his memory bank and say, hey, remember what happened wrong here? Remember what happened right here? You can draw back upon that. Uh, and that's going to be, I think that's going to be the biggest benefit of this game. Like I said, I used to have, I said this in the video I did on Nico. I had a baseball coach, Chris, that told me, hey, don't be a prostitute to results. What does that mean? That means just because you you look in the box score and you went three for four that day, that doesn't mean that you went through the right process, right? You may have swung at bad pitches. You may have uh, swung in bad counts. You may have hit the ball off the end of the bat and it found a hole somewhere. Just because you had good results doesn't mean you had the right process. And and conversely, the same thing can happen in baseball bad, right? You you go in there, you, you get a good count, you swing at a good pitch, and you line it, you lace it to the third baseman and he catches a line drive where you're 0 for 1. Well, here's yeah. the thing with Nico. Don't worry so much about the results of this game. Just worry about the process. How did the fundamentals look? Does he is he able to show um, the arm talent? Yes, he'll show that at different times. But can he show some of those nuanced throws? And can he show a high level understanding of what they're trying to do offensively? If he does that, regardless of what ends up happening against a very very tough defense, like you said, then I think you you feel much better week two next year against NC State, week four going to Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, and as somebody pointed out in the chat, Tennessee's a run-first team, has been for a couple years. Although it wasn't as pronounced this year as I thought 51% of the time. I have a feeling they'll be a little more run-heavy tomorrow than 51%, but that, that is a I also a think Kurt Ferentz will try to take that away. <laughs> well, yeah. you. I mean, look, it, it, I'm sure they're going to try to make him throw it. And, and look, his group of wideouts was not the group that ended Hooker had last year. No. That's been obvious for a while. It's not like yeah. they're bad, but it's not the same group they had a year ago. It's not also don't have a, a first round left tackle either. So yeah, exactly. All right, Chris. Well, we've been we've been going at it almost an hour strong. I think uh, we've we've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, what what it, what? Tell everybody what we got coming up. Uh, like I said, we got rebrand. We got all kinds of stuff going on here on the channel. Yeah, we we've got a rebrand. We've got. A lot of college basketball talk. Um, I, I've been out of the action for a couple of weeks, just being sick with the flu and family stuff. I'm getting back into it. Max Barr and Blake Lovell have done a just an incredible job covering SEC basketball as well as you'll see it covered anywhere, anytime by anybody. Uh, so I'll be plugging back in with those guys there. Uh, we have been paying a lot of attention to SEC hoops. I know a lot of people don't start to do that. Until bowl season's over, we have we've been following it for two months. I've started my baseball prep work. I am super excited about this SEC baseball season ahead. Uh, I think you're going to see a return of the website. We we leaned heavy on that for a while, not so much the last year or two. Uh, so we're going to have some stuff with that soon. And look, we've had a couple of good years. We, we hadn't been around that long here at Southeastern 14, uh, but I think that. 
2024 is going is going to be our best year yet. And, and man, Blaine, uh, as we wind down the, the new year, grateful for our audience. We've yep. got some great people out there. I know a lot of the names in the chat. You guys have been here just about every time we turn this thing on. We appreciate you guys. Uh, wish you guys a, a happy new year. And, and I'm also thankful for the people that I work with. Uh, Blaine, you're certainly on yep. that list. Your your passion and knowledge of football has been infectious. You brought so much to our channel. Uh, grateful for Blake Lovell and Max. Uh, people who have been here know those guys. Uh, I, I just could not have a better team of people to work with. I thank you guys and love our audience. Look, um, shout so many out nice to T people and Caroline. out there. T and Caroline, we got to shout them out. <laughs> uh, ab- absolutely. And, and hey, guys, oh, Justin Holland. Justin's one of our regulars who just popped in here. Uh, you know, and, and, and look, we, we're in Nashville. At least I am. You're not. But the rest of us are. SEC tournaments coming up here this year in March, as it always is. Uh, would love to put some faces with some screen names. So if you guys are coming up for the SEC basketball tournament, uh, one of my New Year's wishes would to be able to meet be able to meet a lot of you guys in person. Uh, that would that'd be a real thrill. So hopefully that'll happen. When we got to get up here for the SEC basketball tournament, oh, yeah. can we make that happen? That, that are, I'm definitely and I'm definitely going to be up for uh, media days uh, next year. Wherever where I don't know if it's in Nashville. I don't know where it is next year. Um, it's but, in Austin, but, I think, or in Dallas. Yeah, we'll end up we'll end up doing something for for media days. I should be able to to make that uh, this year. So we're gonna get it. Uh, you know, uh, Justin with another super chat. He could he couldn't end the year without a super chat. We appreciate it, Justin. But like I said, as Chris said, we greatly appreciate everything. I'm gonna continue right along with football coverage. Mm-hmm. Football's not over here. We're gonna keep going on talking about next year, leading up to spring practice, transfer portal all the different stuff that's continuing to go on. So we'll have that all covered for you. Remember to like, subscribe, turn on notifications, tell your friends about us. Uh, And Chris, uh, go ahead and take us home, my friend. Yeah, happy new year. Uh, Happy football watching tomorrow. May your team win. God bless you all. Thank you all. This has been Southeastern 14 presented by Bet Online. 